You're listening to First Cast, episode 549. My name is Paul Garcia, and I am the host of this First Cast. Joining me on this episode is Project Explosive, Benjamin Bornstein. How you doing, Ben? I am great, sir. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. You know, I've been, uh, I haven't seen basketball in a while. It's been a few days since the uh, All-Star game. I know that I read your piece this morning from uh, on, on that uh, college player. Uh, what's his name? Um, Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. And, and you wrote about how I should be watching more college ball now that there's no NBA ball. Yeah. Well, you know, gotta gotta give the people something they can uh, chew on for a little bit while the All Star break's going on, you know. Yeah. So okay. So so yeah, we're gonna go ahead and kick off this episode. It shouldn't take too long to first cast this just because, just because there's basically been no basketball. There hasn't really been any transactions with transactions regarding the Spurs. No major news. Uh, so Ben, let's go ahead and uh, pick up uh, on the rodeo road trip. Um, Spurs went to the All Star break one and four on the rodeo road trip. Really rough start for them. They're thirty three and twenty six overall. Seventh out west in the Western Conference. Uh, right now, projected to win 43 games this year, sixth on offense and 24th on defense. Uh, kind of, what is your your take on the Spurs right now, uh, heading into, into the All Star break? Uh, I mean, they're kind of who we thought they'd be, and uh, no one's going to let them off the hook, though. Um, they're <laughs> they're 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 like you just said. They're they're very good on offense. The defense is. N- less than ideal right now and a lot of it is injuries um a lot of it is some guys just aren't defensive players on this team or, or they're not as good as guys who are injured like Derek White who has missed a lot of games this year obviously DeJounte Murray who has missed the entire season and will not be back this year that's a huge those those are that's a lot of length and a lot of arm that you're you're missing on the perimeter there for defense, especially for Murray. Um, so, and you, and you have a couple of bigs who you, you have guys who are either kind of defensive specialists, like a Jakob Pertl, or you have an offensive specialist like a Pogasol. And, you know, you could probably argue that LaMarcus Aldridge is somewhere in the middle. He does well enough on defense that he's not a sieve, but for the most part, he's an offensive guy. And, uh, that's obviously translated on that side of the court, on that side of the ball, but defense less than ideal. Um, yeah, I think I think you, I totally agree with you. And one part is that just the fact that there's so little room for error in terms of their health. I mean, just like you said, we know Dante is out all year, but Eric White, you know, he's only a second-year player, but he's this crucial already. Pop has been the record of basically saying that he's he's their second best player this season. I mean, at one time he said in an interview, I want to say to either either um, one of the express defense, Tom Osborne or Jeff Goddard, or even uh, the athletics to Barry Young. So often on the record saying just how crucial he is, Patty Mills was basically saying he's our best you know, wing perimeter defender out there right now on the roster. So it's just huge, and you see, you see the laps that they go on. I mean, those numbers that teams were scoring on them before that um, final game before they went to the All-Star break. I mean, teams were just fighting a month 120 nightly on the rodeo road trip teams were, were posting on them. Um, so let's go to get into to our second topic, and that's um, the ro- final 23 games of the season. But Derek White is supposed to come back here after the All-Star break. It was, it was basically it was the, the word out, out, out on the in the internet, basically. But there's actually been no, no actual press release. Uh, I tried to look for any kind of clips or, or media from, from their practice. I haven't seen anything yet, so maybe that stuff will come out uh, tomorrow when you and I, when, when this episode goes up, you and I are recording this on a, on a Wednesday evening, so... If the Derek White news comes out that he's going to play on Friday, then, then that's why we didn't address it. So he should be coming back pretty soon. So let's go into the um, pros and cons of their 
final 23 games. So we'll start off with the Crows. Um, you know, they have more games against minus 500 teams than against above 500 teams. So 12 against uh, below, 11 versus um, above. They have 12 home games left and 11 road games left. They also have just three back-to-backs left. Now, the cons is that seven of the final 11 teams that get good teams are the, the Raptors, the Thunder, the Nuggets twice, the Bucks, the Warriors, and the Celtics. I mean, those are really tough teams. Plus, you add in the, the, the good teams like Houston, you got Brooklyn in there, you got a team teams like that. Um, so, kind of what are you looking at with, the, with their final 22 games left? <laughs> what, what I'm looking at is uh, what you said earlier, no, no room for error is what I'm looking at. There's, <laughs> there's little to none in those games you just mentioned. Um it's 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 tough, but uh, I would imagine because they're still going to be on the rodeo road trip for a little bit, right? So yeah, they, they, you know, they they should get kind of a backloaded home slate, which should help them because they do play considerably better at home. And wh- I'm not entirely sure what that is. I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure there's data that suggests every team plays better at home, but for whatever reason, they play much much better at home there are teams that are that are like decent or decent or even good on the road but the spurs are not one of them this year so you what what they should hope for is all of the all the sub 500 teams are on the road and all the plus 500 teams are at home which of course is not a realistic expectation and it's not it's going to happen but you have to hope that you get more of those uh, down the road, and uh, they play the Raptors this week. That, like you said, Friday. Um, that game has many meanings for the Spurs and Spurs fans, mostly uh, very salty and bitter Spurs fans uh, who who enjoy you know doing a little bit of Salt Bay action here with, uh, with with how much bitter and saltiness is going on. But uh, you know that they got to treat it like any other game. They can't really treat it like. Oh, we gotta go out and we gotta kill Kawhi Leonard. We gotta end him. We're gonna beat the crap out of him. It's not gonna work like that. It's not. Bad things are gonna happen if you do that. I guarantee it. Just just like how they guarantee you like the way you look at Men's Warehouse, I guarantee you will not like the way the Spurs look if they try and go after Kawhi Leonard that game. It will not end well. So I actually got the stat for you. At home, they play like a fifty-seven win team. On the road, like a 29-win team. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, wow. That's home means to the Spurs. And again, 12 of those teams are at home team of the year, but 11 on the road. And I think another factor here is that they can't just walk into those games against those bad teams, the below 500, because they've lost big games. Like they lost to the Bulls before. They've lost to the Magic. And they've lost to the uh, who's the Suns as a, as, a, as a notable loss. So, so those aren't even automatic wins, those 12 games. So I wanted to ask you now, let's look at some of their, their win projections. Um over on Cleveland Glass, they have them right now projected to win 43 games. So that's basically saying they go 10 and 13 the rest of the way. I have a spot where I just kind of crunched out all the records against good teams, against elite teams, against bad teams. And so I projected them to go with 46 wins, uh, which is 13 and 10 the rest of the way. If they want to get that, you know, that, that Spursy 50 win season, they'd have to go 17 and 6, which is really tough. Uh, so, so what window do you think they'll end up in that? That 43, 45 range, the 46 to 49, or 50 and above wins? I, I think 50 is completely unrealistic for this team. 50 wins 
not happening. Do not get your hopes up. If somehow some miraculous win streak happens, sure, celebrate in the streets and claim that Greg Popovich is the greatest coach of all time and that he got to the players and whatever, whatever. You can say whatever you want. If they get to 50 wins, I should make some ridiculous bet where I have to eat something that's not edible, but I won't do that because I I cannot leave it up to chance. However, I will say the Spurs, realistically, I think, are closer to that 40... 43, 44, maybe 45 win range. That I think that's the window. That's going to be their sweet spot. I think that's where people need to set their expectations. That's the big thing. I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, it's the Spurs. They have to win. They have to get to 50 or they have to win, you know, 48 games or whatever. They have to get close to 50. And it's like they, if the Spurs make the playoffs – they're going to be pretty happy, and I think people should be pretty happy, even if they're the eighth seed, because it's you've got your playoff streak. The Spurs have proven they don't need lottery picks to to do great things with players, and you know even even if they did decide this was the time to start tanking, which they will not. Yeah. But if for whatever reason they decided, guys, let's tank now, they would they would not do a good enough tank job to get even a decent lottery pick in this year's draft. They would have to drop to the top 10 and I don't there's no way that would happen. There's yeah. just no way with uh, how bad some of those, you know, the top 5 picks are. Imagine if the Spurs and Knicks were taking in this in this game coming up on Sunday and they were both going to lose. That would be funny. Um, anyway, yeah. you're right. I mean, they're right now like 19th. I mean, they would be pick 19 should I say. So yeah, and then those Phoenix, the New York, the Cleveland's, the Chicago's, they have a huge lead in the tank game. Um, I'm with you, Ben, where if they can't stay healthy, I think they're in definitely that 43 to 45 win range. Now, if they can stay pretty healthy this last 23 with Derek White back, with Rudy Gay staying healthy, then I could give them maybe 46 to 48 at max. But I really like you. I can't I cannot see a 50 win season. I mean, again, seven of those final 11 teams are teams that are winning 600 more, uh, uh, winning percentage 600 or better uh, right now in terms of their schedule remaining. All right, Ben, let's, let's move on to our third topic, and that's the uh, March 1st playoff waiver deadline. So it's basically eight days after this podcast goes up for teams to waive a player and that way the player is eligible to sign with the, with the playoff team. So the one guy that's kind of been in the headlines that Spurs is Pat Gasol. Now, he didn't get traded after the deadline. There was some rumors that he didn't want to seek a buyout. Which he kind of shot those rumors down right away. He, said he doesn't know where that came from. He even questioned who the source was. It was a really kind of shady article because it came from ESPN Deportes, but they didn't quite give like a quote or so, like, you know, just to say like, we've heard this or so and so said this. There's just, it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't clarified very well. So, so I mean, really, if the Spurs wanted to bail them out, they'd have to come to an agreement. He has 23 and a half left in terms of this season and the 6.7 next year. So that's 23.5 million. And you'd say about maybe you probably give up like one or two million. That's basically the better minimum. Uh, so my first question to you is, do you even see them buying them out at least this season? It's tough. The 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 money that they would have to swallow may not be worth it, uh, which sucks if you're the Spurs, because I think if you're the Spurs, you have to get rid of him. He's won his contract as an albatross. He's not playing up to his contract, and they just got to get him out of there. He's He is just not helping the team at this point. He's he's not seeing 
and it's part part of it is he's not seeing enough game action because he's injured at parts. And then when he is in, he he is a total defensive liability, and that's not something that Greg Popovich has ever been known to tolerate, at least for long periods of time. So I, I think he's being patient with this team because he knows there are injuries and he knows he's kind of cobbling things together and he's got kind of a mishmash of players that probably wouldn't normally ever play together. Like you would never think you, if if you're the Spurs, you didn't think you were going to have to pick up Dante Cunningham this year. Yeah. yeah. You didn't think you were going to be playing Drew Eubanks in games. But a lot of games. Yeah, Grant, he's, he's done well with the time he's yeah. given, but sure that's not a guy Spurs thought they were going to, I mean, they were going to have and have to play decent minutes. So it's, it's a very, it's a very weird Spurs season. And that's the reality that we are dealing with this year. And, you know, fans can get upset and they have gotten upset uh, because mad fans on Twitter, whatever, voice your opinions. None of it matters because the Spurs are going to Spurs. They're going to do what they want. They don't care about your opinions. Um, or at least they're not going to let you know that they care about your opinions and they're going to go about business as usual because they have rings and you don't. Yeah, and with Powell, I, I really don't see it either in the next eight days for them to buy him out. You know, just, again, like you just said, he did, he did $23.5 million that he has left in his contract. Uh, uh, you know, I, I could see where he might be getting a little more vocal in terms of like there was a, there was a, a weird quote that he said that where he's like, I'm not able to – Commit to to I'm not I'm not earning my money, but I'm not really like working for it because he's not really playing. He's saying he needs to get on the court and play. So Powell's the kind of guy when he feels definitely feels like he needs to be out there playing, and he doesn't want to waste his the life of the end of his career basically just sitting on the bench. But Pop has already shown that after the trade deadline, he's going to bench him and get him out of the NBA. The matchup's not right for him. He's giving Yaka Pertle those minutes instead. So that's um, you know I, again, I don't think they'll buy out Powell. As far as adding any spend, um, you know. It, it, some of these available things. There's Greg Monroe. There's Martin Gortat. There's the Austin passing Milos Teodosic. There's Carmelo Anthony. There's Wade Baldwin the fourth. I mean, there's really not a lot of guys out there. Do you see them waving someone and possibly adding one of these trial guys? First, I would like to LOL at Carmelo Anthony. The Spurs will never touch that guy for multiple reasons, but... Hilarious that his name comes up and people still think, oh, the Spurs should go after Carmelo. They could get him for cheap. Yes, and ruin everything that they have worked for this season in a single stroke. Sure, you could do that. Um, A guy I do like, though, uh, for the right price, is Marcin Gortat. One, because I love him from his Orlando Magic days and his Phoenix Sun days. Two, he's got a great nickname. He's the Polish Hammer. And... Three, three. He uh, he could he could, he does a little bit of everything on offense and defense. I think he'd be a really good fill-in. Granted, I have no idea who the Spurs would even wave. They would have to. Probably Pondexter. So a, okay, so a Quincy Pondexter. You maybe you send. Could you? Could they even send Drew Eubanks down to the G League, or have they signed him to a two-year deal? He's on the G League, but you can't. You can't. Out of player, he did. He he and Ben more time as like different players. They're on the seventeen man roster, but you can't fill in the spot with another player. Okay, so I mean, Quincy Pondexter. That's uh, the one guy you could probably wave. Maybe Dante Cunningham, but I would 
I would argue he's actually playing too well to be waived. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't. But yeah, Quincy Pondexter, definitely a candidate. You give you throw in Marcin Gortat there and give him some runs, see what happens. You can probably teach Pearl a thing or two and it'd be fun. I, I wouldn't shoot, I would enjoy it. I, I wouldn't mind if someone got me a Martian Gortat jersey. <laughs> I'd wear it. For yeah, for me I would uh, you know, I, I went to really said not a few things first. So the fact that they're not gonna, you know, not gonna help. You know, I don't think they crack top nine in rotation. Uh, any of these guys, although Milo is obviously kind of still he's my favorite player. People know that and follow him on Twitter. I'm a big Milo, Milo's fan, but for this first team, he's not gonna fit. And, and you're right about Milo. I mean, I, the, the one argument I have from fans is like, well, he shoots mid-range jumpers. This is a team that shoots mid-range jumpers. Yeah, but that team needs defense, and that's the one thing he's not gonna bring to the table is defense. Uh, so I don't, I think Milo is an option. As far as Gortat. I think because they already have four centers, they have Powell, they have Proto, they have all the five. They got Netu. It's just too many guys. I mean, pop whatever it's not a minute. And so right now, I don't see a guy right now in the file market that they can bring, that they would risk waving context to bring in. I mean, I like Jerry Lynn when he got uh, released. He would have been a good point guard for uh, Derek Weisslaub, uh, who is a Toronto picked up. I like Wesley Matthews, but he got picked up. I mean, so there's a lot of players that didn't want to come to San Antonio that were available at one point. All right, Ben, I'm going to move on to uh, the last topic, and that's kind of previewing the um, upcoming three games for the Spurs remaining on their road, road trip. So they are 119 on the road. They're fifth offensively on the road and 28 defensively. So, yeah, on the road, that defense is just gone. The offense is at least keeps them at winning a few games, at least 11 games. So their first team, like you mentioned, is a big one. It's going to be an emotional night for DeMar DeRozan. It may be off the hurdle uh, because he's going back to Toronto for the first time since he got traded in the summer. It's on Friday night. Uh, Raptors are just really good at home. Like you were mentioning, you don't set your expectations high for the Spurs to beat them there in that building. The Raptors are 24 and 5 at home, 10th on offense, and 7th on defense in, in the, what is it, the Air Catcher Center, I believe is the name of the arena. So, yeah. So, obviously, we know that I won't get in the booth like we did in San Antonio before we can play his home fans. But I think one thing you're going to see is the Rose is going to get a really warm embrace, you know, now that he's back. Toronto fans love him to this day. You know, you always see a lot of um, admiration for him from that fan base. Um, even the media up there, you know, respects DeMar and really, really enjoyed their time covering him. So for him, I think that could be a little tricky because, you know, when everybody's like, you know, cheering for you, it kind of makes you feel a little bit like Danny Green kind of that. That game, he really struggled in San Antonio. And not because people were booing him, they were cheering for him. Every time he touched the ball, they, they cheer. And it, it kind of felt like there's out of an element. So there, there's also that um, type of approach with it, too, to watch. So who do you have this event on Friday? I have to take the Raptors. I mean, this seems like a no-brainer to me. Although, Spurs coming off a break. Time time to heal some things. Get their act together. But I think Toronto at home, like you said, is too good at home. Yeah, and that's going them. to be the difference. And um, I, I think DeMar DeRozan will actually have a good game. Yeah, I, think, I think the cheers, assuming the... The crowd isn't booing him. They're cheering him, and, you know, they welcome him back. Uh, I think he's going to put on a show for them because he, he didn't want to get traded from Toronto. He was uh, he, he was really upset about it for a while, and, uh, you know, there was, was kind of a big deal made about it, and people were wondering, oh, no, is he going to, you know, is he going to play hard for the Spurs? Is he going to, is he, does he really want to be here? That You know, that kind of stuff before the season, and, you know, he kind of calmed everybody down. He's like, listen, it's, 
I get it's part of the business. I love Toronto, but I'm here to play. We're going to play. And it was fine. But um, I think it's, I'd love to see Toronto, DeMar DeRozan put on a little show in Toronto, maybe keep the Spurs in it for a lot of the game. And I, I don't think they win, but I think they'll make it a game. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking Toronto like you. Again, just because even though I feel like the Spurs might, you know, they've had a few practices after the All-Star break and Terrified might be back. I still don't see them beating Toronto at home. You know, Toronto's out of the in market stall. They're just getting, you know, they're just getting that much uh, deeper on, on their roster. And then again, even if they're well, I still don't see it for chance. And I'm going to go with the Raptors. So then, Ben, on um, Sunday, the Spurs travel to New York to play the Knicks in the, in the Garden. Uh, the Knicks are not very good. They're 23 at home, uh, 29th on offense. On defense, and like we mentioned earlier, they're trying to tank. They're trying to get you know Zion Williamson that that 14 chance of drafting him. So who do you have in this game on Sunday um, to free the Knicks? Uh, I mean, it's got to be the Spurs. The, the Knicks, the Knicks are actively trying to lose as many games as possible. <laughs> they want the number one pick. They're not going to come out and try and beat a superior Spurs team here. I mean, they they might take their shot out of Phoenix or or even a Brooklyn or. You know, a couple a couple other low lower level teams that might come in, but I don't think they're going to really go and take their shot at the Spurs. Yeah, and so I'm with you. I'm taking the Spurs. You know, actually, the Spurs have trouble in New York. I remember they lost a few years. Uh, there was a few contests there in the Garden, but yeah, I'm so the fact that Phoenix, right? I mean, New York is right there with Cleveland and Phoenix too. They, have a, they all have a 50 percent chance of that at that number one pick at Zion. So I really think the New York Knicks are going to try to mess up those chances for the world. Not trying for Zion. Not trying for Zion is the motto. And hey, what's good is that first you cleaned it two more times this year. So, I mean, that, that's definitely going to look at the, the top three. All right, Ben, let's go to a, a tricky game to predict here. It's Monday night. So it's the second out of a back-to-back in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. The Nets are really good this year. They're 17-13 and 13 at home, 15th on offense at home, and 23rd on defense. So, who, who do you have in the between the Spurs and, and Nets? This one's a bit tough. Um, Brooklyn has been hot recently. D'Angelo Russell has been playing very well. He has been great. Uh, he, he probably should have gotten more all-star love, to be honest. Uh, he But didn't happen, unfortunately. But he has been great. That team has some nice pieces. There are... Uh, I don't know. It's a it's a bit of a weird team, and Spurs third game in five nights on the road. Third road game in five nights. It's uh, second of a back to back. I don't know. I, it's tough. It's it's tough because the like you those stats you just mentioned. Brooklyn is mediocre on offense yeah. and terrible on defense. So. You know who who's going to play better D that game? Are the Spurs going to step up and play better D? Whoever whoever plays semblance of defense in that game is going to win. I, I like to think it'll be the Spurs and Coach Popovich is going to say, "Listen, I know it's a tough one, it's three and five, second of a back to back, but we got to have this one." And I and I think they do need that one. They need to have that one. And so I, I think they will pull it out. I don't think it will be a pretty game at all. But I think the Spurs will pull it out. I'm with you. And again, I had so much trouble picking this one because, again, second out of back, like you mentioned, Brooklyn's a good team. I took the Spurs again because I think that now this is the third game, third game having Derek White back in this scenario. They're just finally healthy. Everything's starting to click a little bit better. You know, they, they have to work on stuff against the Knicks, both offense and defense. 
you know, if Pop wants to run a play on offense, okay, run against the Knicks. If you want to try to take a different scheme on defense, you can try it against the Knicks. So I feel like they'll be a little bit more cohesive and tuned by that Brooklyn game. It wouldn't shock me if they lose, though, just because Brooklyn's a good team. You know, we, we both said that. They almost beat a good game against the Spurs here in San Antonio. So I'm with you. I'm taking the Spurs as well. So we're both predicting that they're going to go 2-1 and one in these next uh, three games. And that would basically give them a rodeo road record of 3-5 and five if that's the case. So, so we'll see how, how the Spurs perform uh, here to finish the, that stretch. All right, Ben, so before we wrap up, let's first cast this one. Please follow Ben on Twitter. He's at the underscore Boomstein. Again, it's at the underscore Boomstein. Uh, continue to check the contentsports.com. Stephen will protect with his analysis the game start being played again. Um, so check Stephen Anderson's pieces. Uh, our new writer, Noah Amato George, or Noah Majaro George, one of those two ways to say his name. Uh, he, he wrote a piece on Yakupolo, but Yakupolo exploring the Spurs' has forgotten uh, man. Uh, ben, you have a piece on, on your Spurs prospect watch this week on Brandon Clark, a 6'8 forward from Gonzaga. Uh, you did. Uh, I read your piece, uh, you know, earlier, earlier this morning. So, can you give the, the fans a little bit more um, details about that, that player? Yeah, Brandon Clark, man, he's great. He's um, he is a guy. A lot of a lot of Spurs Twitter has wanted me to write him up, and I, I, I wanted to I wanted to wait a little farther into the season so there was more to watch and see what he improved what he's improved on from this year, you know, from last year to this year. The kid is. Phenomenal on defense. He is. He has great awareness. He he can jump. He gets he gets up quickly. Oh, he yeah, gets up high. Cool. He gets up off one foot, off two feet. It doesn't matter. He played some great. He was one of the guys who was playing some great defense on Zion Williamson in the Duke game that Gonzaga beat them. Oh wow! So he him and Rui Rui Hachimura. Were two guys playing? Were kind of both playing, and Brandon Clark, phenomenal. He he averages three block. I think three blocks a game, or or it might be three blocks per thirty six, but or per forty because it's college. But he is he. I can't explain. You have to. I mean, you have to read the piece because I, I I wrote I wrote it better than what I'm speaking it. But he um, he is a guy who is improving on offense as well. His shot. His shot at uh, San Jose State, or where his first college, I think it, was, it might have been San Diego State. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was atrocious. It was load up to the side of his head, go up, and his legs are splaying out in two different directions. And now he's got his shot. It's up in front of him, and, and you know it's it's a little mechanical, but it's good form. It's easily repeatable, and it's a clear improvement over what he started with. So he has shown that he can make those improvements and working with the shooting coach in San Antonio, I think will do him some wonders as well. But he is a guy who can come in immediately and make a difference on defense. He will not, he is a low usage player as well, which is huge for the Spurs because they're going to have other guys who need the ball in their hands. He can be a guy who cleans up, as as kind of a four in the small ball, or he can be a three who guards a couple different positions. So I think he would be a great pick. Um, he's he's kind of, he, mock drafts have him all over the place. Some of That's them have him going, as, yeah, yeah. Some of them having have him going as high as nineteen. Some of them have him going middle of the second round. It's it's tough to get a read, and a lot of it is going to end up becoming you know, what the order of the actual draft is and then team needs and seeing if things get done 
seeing if trades or signings happen before the draft. Uh, okay. Because that will change priorities for different teams and thus make him drop or rise or stay the same, whatever. So it's a very interesting case for him. I think he's great value for the Spurs with the Raptors pick they're going to have. I think he would be great value there. Um, And I would say grab him if the Spurs don't grab P.J. Washington, who I have have been seeing has been trending as a Spurs pick in mock drafts. Uh, And he is also another great prospect if you get a chance. I did write him up as well. Go looking for him. Uh, much more offensively inclined. Still solid on D, but much better offensively than Brandon Clark. Okay, yeah. So, again, first episode, you can check out Ben's latest piece on Brandon Clark. And also, like you mentioned, on P.J. Washington. And that's what I was kind of wondering. You know, where's his draft projection? And, again, it's good that the Spurs have those two ranges. You know, right now, if it was today, they have the 19th pick or the 29th pick, you know, with, with Toronto or the 20th, whatever that Toronto pick is at. So, so it's good that they have a little bit of variety. Or if they wanted to, they could try to package them together and try to move up even higher you want to get into the lottery, um, possibly that, that that could be an option for them this summer uh, as the job approaches. And um, I've se- I've seen that uh, I've seen that suggestion as well. And the question is, with that package of picks, how high could they get though? You know, can they get into a top five, or can they get into a top ten, or would it just be lottery? I, that, that's the thing I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. And and um, you know, something, something the reason why I talked about that trade scenario is. Just the roster spots, man. There's like unless they don't make it, unless they make as long as they don't make trades with some like huge trades to the roster. There's really like not a lot of for new players to come into this team. Like I think there might be just barely enough spots for those two picks if they bring them in. If not, I, I could definitely see that scenario where they try to, to trade them, put them together, and get a, get, get a player you know a little bit up higher in the draft. So that's, and that's I've, a- I've seen some suggestions of doing a draft and stash, one to save the money, mm-hmm. and two to so you have a guy two years down after a couple guys leave or contracts run up. For sure. That's like, I, like I mentioned, there's just really no roster spot that they don't, I mean, outside of, you know, getting rid of a moving policy this summer, either trading him or waving him. Uh, there's just not a lot of roster spots, honestly, if they, unless they make, they make some huge trades. Uh, this off season. So again, we'll continue to watch that uh, scenario again. Brandon Clark's the latest piece that Ben wrote up. Uh, my last piece of Monday's first justice was revisiting an old benchmark from Fire first season. That's again, I like to use that quote from Brent Brown a few years ago where he kind of just talks about the way the Spurs evaluate their season. And so I have all the data in there and have those kind of benchmarks that they use. Uh, Colin Reed's latest piece is on the Spurs' post-All-Star break push, playoff push, sort of thing. And uh, Colin goes through a lot of the Spurs' um, uh, opponents, like uh, win percentage and the strength of schedule and all those things like that. And Ben and I kind of touched on some of those details as well here uh, in, in our conversation. And then lastly, if you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Thank you. Have a great day.